Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. It'll be a very unfortunate show today, in my opinion. Um, and the reason for that is I'm going to have to talk yet again about an issue I really, really, really don't want to talk about. You think I want to talk about Russiagate? I don't want to talk about Russiagate in the slightest. I don't even want to do one more segment on Russiagate, but I'm now put in a position where I have to do more segments on this fucking story. Rachel Maddow responded to what uh, Robert Mueller's report, the summary of Robert Mueller's report from Attorney General Barr. So did Joe Scarborough. I got to break it down. I got to break it down because they're doubling down. Um, there's not a, you know, an inkling of humbleness in their reaction of whoopsies. Maybe we got some stuff a little bit wrong. Not even a little bit of that, man. I mean, it is really incredible in my opinion. So we're going to talk about that. Um, there will be a lot of health care, uh, talked about in today's show. Republicans are going all in on, uh, trying to scrap Obamacare and uh, I'll give you what they're doing. I'll give you the Democratic response. Um, former President Barack Obama, you know, pokes his head back into the national discourse to gaslight left-wingers. Uh, Republicans go after Bernie Sanders in the dumbest way imaginable, and I can't wait to mock that. There's a lot of stuff in today's show. Also, um, I'm going to give you the collusion that everybody should be talking about. Really, really important collusion and ignored. I'm not kidding when I say this story is almost totally ignored. We have Jeff Stein from the Washington Post as well, detailing just how messed up our pharmaceutical drug system is. I'm going to make fun of Glenn Beck like a motherfucker, like a throwback secular talk kind of clip, because that asshole's back. That asshole's back in the conversation. Anyway, all right. A lot of stuff to get to. Um, Without further ado, let's get started. We're going we're gonna to do that with Rachel Maddow. Again, I don't want to do this, but I have to do this. Let me set this up. <clears throat> so uh, here we are. I do not, by any stretch of the imagination, want to discuss Russiagate even once more. I'm done with it. I don't want to talk about it. It's annoying that I have to, as I'm prepping for the show, it's like a weight on my mind. I'm being, there's like an anvil attached to my leg, and I'm dragging it as I'm trying to move forward I'm trying to, you know, get the discourse focused on the things that really, really matter. Let's talk about healthcare, which, by the way, we'll be doing later on in the show. Let's talk about, you know, uh, the economy. Let's talk about war. Let's talk about all these things that directly affect people's lives and that the Democrats and the national media should be focusing on. But we can't get past this Russiagate thing, man. We can't get past this Russiagate thing. So, um, Rachel Maddow, who was the number one Russiagate peddler, and specifically the most extreme version of Russiagate. That's what she pushed, the most extreme version of Russiagate, the Trump is Putin's puppet narrative, the collusion slash treason narrative. Um, Well, you're not going to be surprised to learn that in the wake of the Mueller news, she didn't exactly, um, you know, walk back things she said or say, hey, man, my bad, I kind of got a key part of the story wrong, one of the, the biggest part of the story, the core of it, I messed up. There was none of that. In fact, what she did is a segment where she listed, here are all these questions that I now have for Mueller and for Barr. And um, she basically is in a hole, and she decided, 
I'm going to keep digging because she invested so much time, so much energy on this issue that now, even though we have some very uh, conclusive news about it, she's kind of just tap dancing around it. So uh, watch. This is the end of her long-winded rant on this, and then I want to come back and talk about it. While we are on the subject of pie in the sky, um, or, or, or real-world circumstances. When it comes to the, the bottom line for this moment in American history, when it comes to the bottom line that we have just been through a remarkable thing, we have been through a circumstance in which a hostile foreign adversary launched a complex and sophisticated attack to interfere with our presidential election so they could help get their favored candidate into the White House, and he, in fact, got into the White House. When it comes to that bottom line, now that President Trump is praising Robert Mueller as an honorable man and talking about what a great country this is and expressing such great satisfaction with what Barr says or the findings of Mueller's report, does this mean that President Trump agrees with Mueller's findings about Russia attacking our election? Can we expect President Trump and the Trump White House to finally accept the underlying factual record that Russia did, in fact, attack us? And attack. They attacked us. Back to another country because you're their friend. I know. I know. No, I'm just getting crazy. Yes, you are. But the Barr report has given us just this whirlwind of questions. I mean, the Mueller report, if and when we see it, should answer most of them. But TikTok, how long do we have to wait? Stay with us. So the new thing that they're all saying, and I want to be crystal clear in my reaction to this, and I hope everybody who buys into one level or another of what she's saying listens closely. Their new thing is, well, Bob Barr, is his name Bob? It might not be Bob. Something Barr. <laughs> there was another Bob Barr who was like a libertarian candidate back in the day. Attorney General Barr, he did the summary of the Mueller report, and he released it. Now, is it true that Barr is a right-wing political hack appointed uh, by Trump, picked by Trump, for the reason that he's very pro-Trump? That is true. But you know what else is true? The Barr summary, which was released. Robert Mueller, if the Barr summary was not accurate and wasn't correct on the key findings, Bob Mueller or any of a number of people on his team would have come out and said, whoa, 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 whoa. He's mischaracterizing the findings of the report. He's mischaracterizing it. He's trying to be too conclusive on the side of there's not, nothing really to see here. And I'm here to tell you, I, Bob Mueller, or I, somebody on Bob Mueller's team, is here to tell you, no, he, he got it wrong. He, he's mischaracterizing the report. Now, how do we know that he would do a thing like this? He's already done it. He's, he already did it. What was the story? There was somebody, what was it, Manafort or somebody, they were trying to claim he went to go talk to Julian Assange. <gasps> that was a breaking news. Everybody, all the mainstream media outlets covered it because they don't give a fuck about getting stories right, and they just want to rush to, to uh, double down on their narrative, which is exactly what happened in that case. I think it was BuzzFeed who originally reported it. There was no evidence behind it. It turned out to be factually wrong. The day after that leak, Bob Mueller came out and said, no, this is factually, this is not true. This is not true. This didn't happen. So I'm not going to let, you know, mainstream media continue to come themselves over this for the next week straight. So now, again, 
the trick from Maddow here, and I don't know if she's doing it on purpose. Like, I don't know if she's a liar, or I don't know if she's actually silly enough to believe what she's saying here. But one of the points that she keeps going back to, and many others, by the way, keep going back to, even very smart people, they keep going back to this idea that, well, this is just a bar summary when we see the Mueller. We know. Maybe it'll say the opposite. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll uh, you know, uh, say Trump is guilty of collusion or is guilty of obstruction or there will be more indictments coming. You think Bob Mueller would sit around after just a total, you know, skewing of his findings in the opposite direction? Would he sit there as Bob Barr? Why do I keep calling him Bob? Is he Bob? (laughs) I just know it's Barr. There's too many bars in this world. Um, Is he going to sit around as Barr is is totally mischaracterizing his findings? No, he's not going to do that. They're going to correct it. So that leads you to believe what? The summary is correct. It's correct. So I need you to stop misleading people. Again, I don't know if she's lying or if she's actually silly enough to believe her line of BS here, but it is BS. And if people are upset at me for pointing that out, I'm really not that sorry. I'm not. Because you got to stop with this delusional thinking, this conspiracy theory thinking. Now, so, but what are the findings in the Mueller report as explained in the summary by Barr? There's three things you cannot get around. Number one, no evidence. That's Mueller. I'm quoting Mueller, not Barr. Because in the report, Barr quotes Mueller. No evidence of collusion. That's according to Mueller, not Barr. No evidence. Uh, no more indictments coming. No more indictments coming. No more indictments coming. And no recommendation of impeachment. Those three things cannot be overlooked cannot be downplayed. You can't obfuscate and deflect your way out of those three facts. So stop trying. And I am fucking floored, floored at how pervasive this line is. It's insane. If I tweet anything about the the Mueller report and the findings, there a thousand fucking cocky idiots respond with, oh, I didn't know you read the report. Are you serious? Now, also, let me be clear. Should the report be released in full? Absolutely it should. 100%. I believe in government transparency like everybody should. It's a no-brainer you should release the report. Absolutely. But stop pretending like it's going to change anything. It's not going to change dick. And you need to know that. So what she's doing here is doubling down on a conspiracy. Now, you might ask yourself, well, why why is she doing this? Well, take a look at one reason. This is from Luke Savage. He said, and he's quoting a Daily Beast article here. Maddow, who has consistently vied for the first or second top-rated cable news program, was sixth on Monday evening, down almost 500,000 total viewers uh, from the previous Monday, as well as, as was, excuse me, MSNBC's second top-rated program in primetime. And there were more ratings that came out. She plummeted all the way to 10th in the ratings. She was up at the top. So she was the, the number one Russiagate peddler. It was every single day. And again, she pushed the most extreme version of it, that Trump is basically a Putin puppet and that a foreign adversary is running our country. 
Now her conspiracy theory imploded. Well, guess what? It was good for ratings. So what's she going to do? Is she going to be upfront and honest and say, listen, hey, in these ways, I think I was right. But on the core point, I was wrong. There was no collusion. There's no evidence of it. What do you want me to tell you? She doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. She's trying to weasel her way. She's using all of her brain power to try to rationalize now and say, well, what we don't know, hey, here are these 15 questions I came up with. And I mean, listen, Barr is a political hack. So he's the one who wrote the summary. I mean, the Mueller report, why aren't we seeing it? Maybe that says something else. Honestly, guys, this is at the level. I need you to understand this, digest this point. This is liberal Benghazi. That was the most poignant thing I've ever fucking said, and I've been saying it for years now. This is liberal Benghazi. All the ways we used to mock all the idiots on Fox News for melting down over Benghazi and coming up with bizarre theories. They ordered a stand down, and Hillary wanted our, our ambassador to die. And, blah, blah, blah. and on the left, we used to look at them like, are you fucking, are you mental? What's wrong with you? Seriously, you believe that? You really believe that? You really believe that? You really believe that? Well, now, the shoe's on the other foot. This is exactly what we're seeing. It, it's totally analogous. And by the way, there's an old quote of Rachel Maddow that makes, that makes a lot more sense to me now. She, she said years ago that she thinks Glenn Beck is a fantastic broadcaster, that he's an amazing broadcaster. She has become the liberal Glenn Beck. I mean, it's what it is. It's what she is. Now, the final point I'll make is, um, notice what she did there. She, she went from, okay, fine, um, the, the report says no evidence of collusion, no more indictments coming, no recommendation of impeachment. My entire theory imploded. But will, I guess, Trump accepts, though, the other findings of the report that Russia, quote, attacked, attacked our election. Now, Don't you think that rhetoric's maybe a little extreme and a little dangerous? Another nuclear-armed power, quote, attacked us, attacked our election. But dig a little deeper here. What's she referring to? Literally what she's referring to there is, number one, a Russian troll farm, which we've spoken about at length on the show before. You know what they did? They made memes. They came up with the muscular cartoon Bernie Sanders. They did the, the cartoons where they pretended like Hillary was Satan and Trump is Jesus and represents everything good. And they were on, uh, by the way, they were on a variety of, of sides for a, all different political issues. You want to know why? Because it's a troll farm. It's a troll farm. You know what they're about? Clicks. They're trying to make money like any other troll farm. And the impressions for this troll farm were next to none. But this is what they're using to say, Russia attacked our election. Russia attacked our election. Is Trump accepting these dire findings? This is beyond hyperbolic and dumb. And the other thing she's referring to is that Russia maybe were the ones who got the, you know, the information and the emails on, on Hillary Clinton and the DNC and, and gave them to WikiLeaks. And then WikiLeaks ran with those stories. So uh, let me ask Rachel, if it was the other way around and WikiLeaks got 
incredible dirt on the RNC and Donald Trump. And WikiLeaks released those emails, which showed that the Republicans were trying to rig the primary, which showed that the candidate was out there talking about how there's intolerable bigotry against the rich in this country. Intolerable. I can't believe we treat the rich as we do. I think we should have totally free and open trade borders in this country. We should, basically, Hillary was caught saying we should do NAFTA on steroids, TPP on steroids. Um, it was caught that they were leaking questions to Hillary for the debates and, and giving her in advance. It was found that, basically, the Hillary campaign was acting as a wing of the DNC. They were controlling press releases and stuff. So if WikiLeaks had released all this information on the Republicans rigging their primary, the Republican um, candidate, the Republican nominee, saying all these insane things that the American people should know, like, oh, by the way, I have public and private positions. I'll tell the people what they want to hear, but then behind the, the scenes, I'm doing what the donors want, and I'm, and I'm really on, on the side of the donors. If WikiLeaks had released RNC leaks and information on the Republican nominee, would Rachel Maddow say, our elections have been attacked because maybe a foreign country was involved in giving the American people information about their candidates that they should know. Not in a million years would Rachel Maddow ever say it was an attack on our election when we got information that we had every right to know if it was on the other side. But since it's on the precious Democratic side, she becomes the most partisan hack I've ever seen, ever. And now all of a sudden, forget the substance of the leaks. Don't look at the substance of the leaks. Don't look at the substance. Don't look at the substance. Attack the messenger. Oh, maybe this came from Russia. And by the way, they don't even say maybe. They say it definitely came from Russia. This came from Russia. We've been attacked. We've been attacked with factual information about our beloved candidate. We've been attacked. So this is what a Russian fucking troll farm with next to no impressions and actual factual information on how they tried to rig an election, a candidate tried to rig an election and said horrendously far right things behind the scenes. This is what we learned. And she's summarizing this as, will Donald Trump accept that Russia attacked our election? Will you accept that you are the liberal Glenn Beck? and the hackiest of all hacks. And I've seen, I am absolutely floored, not just at the response from Rachel Maddow, but from, honestly, virtually all of mainstream media and some outlets beyond mainstream media, where they're not reckoning with this, and they're not being honest, and they're not being upfront, and they're deflecting, and they're obfuscating, and they're misleading. And um, it's depressing, man. It's depressing because the, all it takes, the, all, the minimal amount of integrity, all, all they have to say is, hey, listen, the core point, the core point of Trump colluding with Russia, we were wrong. There's no evidence, no evidence in that direction. And we put too many eggs in that basket. But hey, outside of that, here's where I think, what I think Trump is guilty of. And let's have a separate conversation about that. If they were to say that, I wouldn't have to do these segments. Because you know what? Fair enough. As long as you admit that on the core theory, you were wrong, fine. But they're not doing that. None of them are doing that. And it's... The thing is, like, what they're saying now 
isn't even like mildly convincing. So if you're somebody who didn't agree with me this entire time when I've been warning you about what would happen, but you're still like you're listening to the reactions now from these people who said that the worst theory was true and you still believe them, I honestly don't know how that's possible. I, don't, I have no idea how that's possible because I think that that honestly requires an incredible level of self-delusion. I really do believe that. And it's actually kind of scary to me that people who are nominally on our side can have the blinders on that strongly. So, again, listen, I'll say it. I really don't want to talk about this issue anymore. And in a world that made sense, the second we learned that the most extreme theory of Russiagate was false, and we're not going to get any more indictments, and we're not going to get impeachment, and there's no evidence of collusion, the second we learned that, in a world that made sense, all these people would go, okay, on the main point, we were wrong. Now we're going to focus on all the things that we know are important, number one, and number two, would lead to Democratic victories. But they're not doing that. (laughs) They're not doing that. A lot of people lost a lot of credibility with this, man. They really did. I don't want to talk about Russiagate anymore. Don't make me talk about it anymore. Don't make me talk about this. But my guess is they're going to do that and... We're stuck. What are we going to do? Let everybody say insane things and not respond to it? Like, I'm trying to help here, guys. The entire, the point we were making all along, the Russiagate skeptics was, you're actually helping Trump. You're helping Trump because you're overreaching and now you're giving him a claim of victimhood and you're making it so that people go, well, he was kind of right about that one, wasn't he? And so now when he screams fake news, you don't get to clutch your pearls and be like, how dare you, good sir? You don't get to do that now, because on the main thing you've been focusing on, the theory's up in smoke. And now, instead of acknowledging it, you deflect, you deny, you obfuscate, you mislead, you conflate various issues, and it's just sad. And again, here's the final, final thing I'll say for this segment. Relax, relax. I know people love these, as Glenn Greenwald puts it, people thought that in real life, uh, you know, Russiagate was like a a Tom Clancy novel where the president is secretly a Manchurian candidate controlled by Russia. Um, And it's hilarious that people ever believe that. But I still think Trump's going to go down when he's no longer president. I said it once, I'll say it again. My first prediction was you're not going to get Trump on collusion or treason or anything like that. But my second prediction was specifically in the Southern District of New York, there are investigations into Trump's financial crimes. And he's guilty. And there's so much evidence that I'm totally convinced of in that investigation. So, you know, there's bank fraud, as we covered the other day. There's um, tax evasion. There's money laundering. There's a variety of financial crimes. It's a fucking buffet, a a smorgasbord, borg, however you say it, of financial crimes. And they have the evidence. So I think he'll be indicted when he's no longer president. Within the first year of him not being president, I think he's going to be indicted on financial crimes. So relax. He's still going to go down. He's still garbage. You know, he's still guilty of emoluments. So if you wanted to actually go forward with impeachment, although that's a separate question as to whether or not that's a wise thing to do. But if you wanted to go forward with it, you got emoluments. But that's the thing. Nobody's talking about emoluments. Nobody's talking about the the actual financial crimes. It all goes back to a grand conspiracy involving the Russian government. And that, there is no evidence for that. And you overreached and you look like a bunch of dumbasses. 
And don't buy into it, by the way, because there are some people who are conflating those two investigations. And they're saying, yeah, 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 I was concerned about financial crimes all the time. But hold on, wait a second. The core argument that they were making was the financial crimes somehow linked back to the Russian government. And that's not true. (laughs) They don't link back to the Russian government. Full stop. No evidence of that. Period. Those are separate things. Russia collusion, Trump working with the Russian government, Trump doing financial crimes. Totally separate. Don't conflate them. That's bullshit. That's not a thing. There's no evidence of the financial crimes being linked to the Russian government. Stop it. Stop it. I'll leave it at that. But this is sad. Uh, You know, I'm distraught over this because I want us to move on. But we're not able to move on, man. And people keep digging their, their hole deeper and ruining their credibility further. And I think they have no clue how they look to people who are willing to follow evidence. All right, now you thought Rachel Maddow was bad. Actually, somehow Joe Scarborough is worse. Let me set this up for you. Actually, let me look up. Attorney General Barr. William Barr. Yeah. Bob Barr was the Libertarian candidate. Okay, anyway, here we go. So Joe Scarborough responded to Russiagate imploding. And honestly, I can't believe I'm going to say this. His response was even worse than Rachel Maddow, who is the queen of Russiagate. So this is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. It's totally dishonest. Let's watch, and then I'll break it down. What would you have had the media do over the past two years when Donald Trump lied throughout the 2016 campaign about his contacts with Russia? Now, why would Donald Trump lie about Russia? Why would the man who was coming in to have the most powerful foreign policy position, the National Security Advisor, General Flynn, why did he lie to the FBI in December about his contacts with Czechoslovakians? Swedes? No, no, no! With Russians! And that wasn't even a Russian accent! <laughs> Somehow the French thing got in there somewhere. Okay. Why in January would Mike Pence go on a Sunday show and lie and say, actually, nobody in the Trump campaign ever talked to any Russians during the campaign? Why would he do that? When telling the truth would have been so much easier. Why would the Attorney General of the United States, before becoming Attorney General, lie to members of his own Senate about having contacts with the Russians. And let me just stop you right here and ask a question. Mm -hmm. What should the media have done when everybody, it seems, that was close to the president, everybody that I was told were the president's closest advisors in 2016, everybody who I was told flew on the plane with Trump all across America was a press to report on when all of these lies were tumbling out of the mouths 
of all of these Trump aides? Should we have reported on horse farms in Kentucky? Or done investigations into how maybe eating tree bark would lower our cholesterol? What would you have had us do? Now, I don't just say this to people on the right who have, who have found common cause with conspiracy theorists over Seth Rich or Sandy Hook. I'm saying this to established journalists who are wringing their hands and saying, this is worse than WMD. <laughs> is it really? Is that why George Papadopoulos lied to the FBI and got sent to jail? Is that why the National Security Advisor lied? Yeah, Al Manafort. Yeah, and, and his campaign manager not only got caught lying to the FBI, but after he was in talking to the FBI, <clears throat> got caught lying again. Donald Trump's second-in-command behind Paul Manafort got caught lying to the FBI. And then when he was delivering his proffer, he got caught lying to the FBI. The man that Donald Trump knew longer than anybody else in politics. You see him on the lower right-hand corner. Yeah, you know, the guy with the Nixon tattoo on his back. Get caught lying to the FBI about what? What was the media supposed to do at that point? Shrug it off? No, you know the answer. And just because you're sucking up to Donald Trump and just because power is all that matters to you and just because you will justify everything that man does and just because you are corrupt... Just because you're not a journalist, just because you have sold your soul to a personality cult, don't knock reporters at the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal or the broadcast networks for doing their job right. They didn't do their job right. The point. They got it dead wrong. That's not my opinion. That's a fact. If what they said was correct, the Mueller report's conclusion would have been more indictments coming, a recommendation of impeachment, and there is a plethora of evidence of Trump colluding with the Russian government. That didn't happen, Joe. That didn't happen. And don't give me this bullshit about how somehow the guy who was investigating him for over two years looked, under, looked, in, the, looked in the wrong direction. He looked under the wrong rock. He somehow missed the super obvious conspiracy that this dumbass armchair pontificator was able to piece together because he thinks he's goddamn Sherlock Holmes. They didn't get it right. And if you were willing to actually follow the evidence as opposed to your narrative, you would already know this. By the way, I think he took some veiled shots at Greenwald in there, too, when he said, I'm not just talking to the people on the right. I'm talking to the established journalists who say this is as bad as WMDs. So Greenwald, at various times throughout all of Russiagate, wrote these articles where he, his hair was on fire and he was screaming to anybody who would listen. Whoa, 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 whoa. Here's like a dozen documented cases from like a two-week period where the media, were, they just flat out ran factually wrong articles that they later had to retract. Some of them were retracted. Some of them were amended. Some of them were proven dead wrong, but they fucking kept up the story anyway. The whole point, Joe, is that they didn't get it right. That's the whole point. This, by the way, this is the same dodge they used with Iraq and WNDs, where they said, what would you have us do? Woe is us. 
the wonderful mainstream media. What would you have us do? The intelligence agencies were telling us that Saddam had WMDs. Your job is to fact check them, not be fucking stenographers to power, you idiots. You idiots. How do you not know this? How do you not know this? I'm an asshole with a YouTube channel, and I know it. You don't know it? Are you that dumb? The answer is yes, because that's why they're in the position they're in. That's why he's on MSNBC. That's why a lot of the assholes on CNN are on CNN. They're not going to rock the boat. They're not going to question the status quo. They're not going to buck the narrative. Wolf Blitzer fucking, one time Rand Paul was on Wolf Blitzer's show, and Rand Paul said, hey, you know, maybe we should stop arming the Saudis because they're like a terror state and they're doing a genocide in Yemen. And Wolf Blitzer's response was, what about the profits of the defense contractors and all the jobs that we'll lose if we stop arming them? What? 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 Are you kidding me? I, I have no words. I have no words in response to that. Look at what he's doing here. It's at the point, this is just dishonest. You're being dishonest. You're not being upfront. You're deflecting on purpose. You're obfuscating and rationalizing on purpose. So the whole point, Joe, is they didn't get the story right. That's the whole fucking point, and now that's proven. And again, before anybody says, oh, you don't see the full Mueller report. The bar summary, if it was incorrect, Bob Mueller or somebody on his team would have corrected it already. They would have said, no, you're, you're misleading everybody. This is not accurate. But they didn't say that. You want to know why? Because it is correct. And remember, no more indictments coming, no recommendation of impeachment, no evidence of collusion. Those are the three biggest findings. You could try to, you could try to talk your way around that all day, but you're full of shit. You're full of shit. And how do I know Mueller would have come out and corrected it if it was wrong? He already did it. He did it in the case where they tried to say it was Manafort or somebody who met with Julian Assange. BuzzFeed did breaking news, bombshell, walls are caving in, uh, Julian Assange met with fucking blah, blah, blah. Bob Mueller came out the next day and was like, this is not true. This is wrong. You're, you're just wrong. So Bob Mueller would have done that if the, if the bar summary was incorrect. Okay. Now let's go through more of what he said here uh, specifically. Um, I like how, again, he's just saying misleading shit. Towards the end, he's talking about, and all you guys who want to suck up to Trump. and bl- Joe, nobody's more anti-Trump than me. You are way more pro-Trump than me. And I am out here, I'm not defending Trump, I'm defending objective reality and facts. You know who else is doing that? Glenn Greenwald, Jimmy Dore, Aaron Maté, Rania Kalik, um, many others who've been correct. There's a lot of people on the left who actually got Russiagate right. So stop trying to frame it as like, this is obviously just a Trump thing, and if you were against Russiagate, you're obviously just trying to suck up to Trump. No, that's not true. Um, And then he's He's detailing, like, why did this person lie? Why did that person lie? Why did that person lie? And do you see what he's trying to imply? He's trying to say, listen, they all lied. So basically, Robert Mueller obviously got it wrong because we in the media, wonderful media, reported the stories, and they all point in that direction. So what would you want us to do? Pretend like he didn't collude with Russia? Again, the problem is you didn't follow the evidence. And all that was incredibly misleading because he brings up Flynn, for example. Flynn was lying on the issue of Turkey, not on the issue of Russia. I mean, again, he's so full of shit, and he's giving you half-truths and trying to steer you in the wrong direction here. The problem with Flynn was he didn't register as a foreign agent helping a foreign government. That foreign government was Turkey. Funny how nobody screams about Turkey collusion. But um, what did he do? He took $500 from the Turkish government, and then he tried to get um, 
Gulen, uh, what's the word? I forget the word for it. Not outsourced. Given over to, to Turkey, whatever it's called. Deported. I, I don't know. There's another word that I'm uh, missing right now. But he tried to get that dude back to Turkey, uh, and he tried to pull strings behind the scenes to do that. And also, he was fighting against a Washington policy, which is the consensus, which is we should arm the Kurds because the Kurds are fighting ISIS. So he steps up and goes, I don't think we should do that. I think it's a bad idea. Why would we do that? This isn't a good idea. And he wasn't disclosing that he was on the payroll of the Turkish government who were lobbying to try to get the Kurds not armed because they hate the Kurds. So that's the issue with Flynn. And he's misleading you and acting like it has something to do with Russia. Even in the case of Manafort, Manafort was lobbying um, pro-Western elements in Ukraine. So in other words, working directly against the interests of Russia, and he tries to frame it like he was working for the interests of Russia. Notice, not a single thing is brought up about U.S. policy towards Russia in this rant. Why? Because the overwhelming majority of U.S. policies towards Russia are more hawkish. So obviously Trump's not a Putin puppet. Obviously he didn't do collusion. He's been escalating with Russia across the board. U.S. warships in the Black Sea, NATO uh, buildup on Russia's border, Look at what we're doing in Venezuela. It's the opposite of what Russia wants. Permanent uh, military occupation of Syria. That's exactly the opposite of what Russia and Vladimir Putin wants. And the list goes on and on. Trying to get the, uh, Germany to end their oil deal with Russia so that they have an oil deal with us instead. Is that what Putin wants? To lose a tremendous amount of money? Is that what his puppet would try to have done? No. So uh, they're just liars. So... There's so much more. I've said this before. I'll say it again. There's so much more evidence of Trump being Saudi Arabia's puppet, Trump being Israel's puppet, but they just ignore that. They don't care about that. And furthermore, dude, you're arguing that Trump is involved in this grand conspiracy and his team is involved in in this grand conspiracy. They're a bunch of fucking idiots. They're all so stupid. And by the way, half the time, these guys admit that. Like, oh, yeah, Trump's a dumbass. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's shooting from the hip. So the guy who's a lunatic who's shooting from the hip who doesn't know anything about anything somehow created this giant grand conspiracy. I mean, it's just, it it hurts to even talk about this. I don't want to talk about this shit anymore. It's so obnoxious and it's so dumb, but they can't help themselves. They're doubling down. Why? Because they were so invested in this. They put all their eggs in this basket. And um, final point is, The people he's listing are caught on unrelated financial crimes or just lying to the FBI. That's all they're caught on. And so the same people who found that, oh, God, they they lied to us a lot and they did these unrelated financial crimes, that same team is also the same team that found there's no evidence of collusion with Russia. So you can't accept half their findings and then dismiss the other half the findings because it doesn't fit your narrative. But that's exactly what you're doing because you're a fucking hack. That's what you are, Joe. You're a hack. But understand something. They, like, this is all they have. Because what are they going to do on, on Morning Joe? Are they going to talk about the serious issues that we talk about on this show all the time? Are they going to talk about how Donald Trump's health care policy um, made it so that 7 million people lost health, lost health insurance under his administration? Are they going to talk about how wages, real wages, are falling 1%? Are they going to talk about how we're bombing eight different countries and in many cases we're doing it illegally? Are they going to talk about any of these serious issues, how we need an infrastructure deal? Are they going to talk about the rise of hookworm in rural parts of the South because um, we have have a country that's moving backwards in many respects? Uh, Are they going to talk about – they're not going to talk about any of this. 
You want to know why? Because they're a bunch of overpaid, babbling, elitist idiots. That's what they are. And they're embarrassing. And if you watch them, I just need you to know, these are all charlatans. They're charlatans. Trump is full of shit. You know who else is full of shit? Joe Scarborough. Totally full of shit. Notice, there was never, none of that was like actually trying to reckon with the news that just came out. None of it. None of it. None of it. None of it. The whole thing was like, I'm going to defend us. I'm going to defend us. No, the reality is all the people in the media who got this dead wrong, they shouldn't have a job in media anymore because you have to understand something. They just suck at their job. That's the point. They just suck at it. They're not doing their job correctly. It's like you hire somebody to be a kindergarten teacher and they just don't show up or they show up, but they show up and try to teach these kindergartners how to use a chainsaw and one of them cuts off somebody's hand. Me? Why? You're going to punish me for that? Yeah, you didn't do your job right. You're a fucking idiot. So all these people who are Russiagate peddlers, they should be all fair. Not going to happen, though. Not gonna, Why? Look what happened with WMDs. The people who got it right were marginalized. The people who got it wrong were promoted. Some of the people who got it wrong are controlling our foreign policy today. John Bolton, today controlling it. Today. There's no accountability in this world, man. Only in politics and media and Wall Street do you fail up? You fail up. Hey, all of us elitist assholes got it wrong, so if you got it wrong with us, we're going to protect our own. We're going we're to protect the powerful. And then people like me got it right. Glenn Greenwald, Jimmy Dore, many others got it right. Max Blumenthal, Ben Norton. Um, what's going to happen with us? Further marginalization. And people are still arguing with us. <laughs> As if we weren't vindicated, they're arguing with us. It's incredible. It's incredible. And again, the arguments they use are just, it's hard to believe that they believe it. But many of them do. Some of them are just lying. Many of them do believe it. But here we go. Their response to failing miserably is to double down. I have nothing else to say. Okay. All right, let's go to um, Mike Lee. So Mike Lee took to the floor of the Senate to go after the Green New Deal and to go after climate change. And he was instantly memed. Take a look. Senator from Utah. Critics will no doubt chastise me for not taking climate change seriously. But please, Mr. President, nothing could be further from the truth. Because this image has as much to do with overcoming communism in the 20th century as the Green New Deal has to do with overcoming climate change in the 21st. Now, while perhaps not as efficient in some ways, Uh, as airplanes or as snowmobiles, these hairy bipedal species of space lizards offer their own unique benefits. Not only are tauntauns carbon neutral, but according to a report a long time ago and issued far, far away, they may even be fully recyclable and usable for their warmth, especially on a cold night. I draw your attention, Mr. President, 
to the 20-foot impressive seahorse he's riding. Under the Green New Deal, this is probably Hawaii's best bet. Now, I'm the first to admit that a massive fleet of giant, highly trained seahorses would be cool. It would be really, really awesome. But we have to consider a few things. We have no idea about scalability or domestic capacity in this sector. The last thing we want is to ban all airplanes. The solution to climate change is not this unserious resolution that we're considering this week in the Senate, but rather the serious business of human flourishing. The solution to so many of our problems at all times and in all places is to fall in love, get married, and have some kids. He dared to call the Green New Deal unserious in the middle of the most unserious rant I've ever seen on the floor of the Senate. So he thinks what he's doing here is like, me, I'm being so clever. I am going to meme and troll like the youngins on the interwebs. And that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. He knows. He knows what's going to happen here. You know, he's playing the media. Oh, see, look, I'm showing the fucking goofy Star Wars thing. I'm showing Trump on a velociraptor. And um, the implication and what he flat out says at one point is just a lie. I need everybody to understand that. When he says the Green New Deal taking away cars and planes, that is fundamentally not true. It is a lie. It's a lie. He's lying. These people are liars. What I find amazing about mainstream politics uh, among elected Republicans and among the most ardent, hardcore followers of the base is that you can literally take the most absurd, comical, obviously fake meme that makes its way around Facebook, and it becomes a mainstream talking point as if it's real. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. It's like there was this, once there was this picture of Trump it was obviously photoshopped. It wasn't even close. You could see it within, within 0.01 uh, seconds of looking at this picture. Trump was on a boat saving people from a hurricane. And there were people on Facebook who thought, that's my president. He done nailed it. He's saving lives. We love Trump. Make America great again. The only way you're going to fall for that is if you're already super brainwashed in that bubble. And what Mike Lee is doing here is he's preaching to those people who are super brainwashed in that far-right bubble. And they're going to love this shit, man. They're going to love it. They're going to eat it up. They're going to think he's awesome. <laughs> Look at him, bro. He's trolling the left, triggering the liberals. I base my whole ideology on triggering the other side, bro. Got him. We got him, bro. But what you don't understand is even to people who are somewhat apolitical or even people who are moderately right-leaning, they look at you and they go, you look like a jackass. Like, you think you're being clever here? No. You're, you're not playing us. You're playing yourself. Like, when you look at the, the, the scientific studies on the issue of climate change, they're not, like, up in the air. It's not 50-50. It's not like, hey, maybe, maybe not we do something about it. It's like, oh, my God, every time we look at this, it's worse than the worst-case scenario. And this is going to lead to a million direct problems 
not just sea level rise, which obviously threatens major cities, and they will, it will do that, um, but it's also going to lead to drought. It's also going to lead to famine. It's also going to lead to wars over water. It's also going to lead to a giant refugee crisis. You think there's a refugee crisis because of the war in Syria? You ain't seen nothing yet when the entire Middle East has to empty out because it's too hot for humans to live there, and we're on the way to that. It could happen within 100 fucking years, you fucking moron, dumbass. But no, I'm going to troll the other side. <laughs> Look at my silly pictures. Isn't Ocasio-Cortez an idiot? Isn't the Green New Deal bad? Because I'm saying it wants to do this thing that it doesn't want to do, like ban cars. It's not banning cars. It's not banning airplanes. Stop lying. You are a liar. That's what you are. Now, don't get me wrong. Are there things to criticize about the Green New Deal? Yes. And anybody on the left who says there's not, I think you're being silly. Like, for one thing, I hate the fact that they tried to lump in a bunch of stuff into the Green New Deal that's not part of the Green New Deal. Like, they tried to put Medicare for All in that. No, that's separate. That's a separate thing, okay? And there's a bunch of things in there that I'm like, what are you doing? You just made, like, a laundry list of things we want, and you're putting it in this one piece of legislation. Why would you shoot yourself in the foot like that? That's ridiculous. Don't do that. Make the Green New Deal the Green New Deal, full stop. So there are definitely things to criticize in it. But I just need you to understand that the right-wing critics of it are liars. This guy's a liar. And his whole point is, I'm just going to preach to the choir who already agrees with me and hope this blows up on the Internet, which it did. But again, to anybody who's not already brainwashed, they're going to go, you're a jackass. Like, we have, seriously, insanely serious problems here. Like, the climate change is such a dire problem for humanity, and he's just, like, mocking it and saying, yeah, Green New Deal is so dumb and so unserious. No, you're unserious, dude. But what are you going to do when half the political spectrum now, um, their ideology is partly based on trigger the libs? That's it. It's like that's a that's a fundamental core part of their ideology. And again, I know it thing it makes them think like, ooh, we're having fun. This is hilarious. But okay, at what point will you get tired of that and like mature a little bit and go, oh, okay, we actually have real problems that we probably should address and that require serious attention and and nuance and detail and objectivity. And, like, if you're in that kind of mindset, why are you even involved in politics? Like, why is that a thing that appeals to you? Like, I'm just going to shit on everything and troll, and that's it. I mean, that's fun some of the times, but if that's your, like, a, fa- a fundamental part of your ideology, I hate to burst your bubble, but you're just a fucking idiot. Like, it's not like, like, what these guys love to do is they love to feel like they offended people. Like, oh, have I offended you? Am I too edgy for you? Got you. And what I'm here to tell these people is, no, I'm not at all offended by what you're saying. I'm not triggered by what you're saying. I just think you're a fucking idiot. (laughs) Like, there's a big difference between those things. It's one thing to be like, I'm so offended. I'm melting down. That's one thing. And that's the reaction they want. That's the reaction they want from you. It's a totally separate thing to just, like, I look at you like, I don't know, A dude who's on the street corner who's preaching about end times and he's pulling shit out of his ass and rolling it into balls in his hand. That's how I look at you. I look at you like, oh, well, that's unfortunate. Like, that's how I see you. That's how I see you. And actually, that's not even fair to the guy who's preaching about end times because maybe he actually has genuine psychological problems. You don't have one. You're just a dumbass. You want me to tell you? (laughs) So wake up. Come on. Mature. It's the same thing I say to Shapiro fans. You know what? I get it. He talks really fast. He makes you think he's smart. He's good at making you think he's smart. 
But then at a certain point, you, you grow up a little bit, and you see, okay, well, there's a contradiction, and there's a contradiction, and that makes no fucking sense. And what the fuck is he saying here? That's totally against what the evidence says. So at a certain point, I forgive you. You were on Shapiro's team for X amount. Time to graduate. Let's go. Let's go. Let's move on here. You got this. You're, you're good enough. You're smart enough. You can graduate. You got this, buddy. I'm, I, I believe in you. You could do it. So same thing with, with these kind of clowns. We're not offended. We're not triggered. We're not little snowflakes looking for a safe space. It, there's a difference between getting mad at you because you're politically incorrect and realizing that you're incorrect. Like, I don't, you're not politically incorrect. You're just incorrect. <laughs> like, there's a difference. It's the one thing to be politically incorrect. I'm politically incorrect all the fucking time. I say things that in polite society, they'd be like, oh, I'm offended. So I don't care about that. That's, I'm pro-political incorrectness. What I'm against is incorrectness because that's a tautology. You have to be against it. It's incorrect. And that's what Mike Lee's doing here. So wake up. If you think these guys, you think this guy's a serious intellectual? Really, really sad. All right, Chuck Schumer, here we go. So a bunch of the Democratic candidates for 2020 decided I'm not going to go to APAC because it's the, you know, the Israel lobby and they lean right and they're really odious in many ways. And uh, so Democratic candidates are like, I'm not going to do it. Good for them not doing that. Now Kamala Harris came out and, you know, posted a, a tweet where she's taking a picture with APAC and talking about how great they are that's really dumb and shows you're really out of step with the times and that's going to hurt you politically. So please, you know, go right ahead, move along, do that. I'd like to see that. <laughs> but some, you know, some politicians went there because they are massively pro-Israel. And one of them is Chuck Schumer, senator here in New York. Um, so he went to speak at APAC and he thought it was a good idea to go after Ilhan Omar without naming her, but clearly going after her and conflate her with Trump and far-right white nationalists and white supremacists. When someone names only prominent Jews as trying to buy or steal our elections, we must call it out. When someone says that being Jewish and supporting Israel means you're not loyal to America, we must call it out. When someone looks at a neo-Nazi rally, and see some very fine people among this company, we must call it out. When there's someone suggests that money drives support for Israel, we must call it out. Okay. That was massively disingenuous. And most of the points he made there were taking on Ilhan Omar. He says, um, when somebody only names prominent Jews, uh, uh, you know, for taking money in politics or being involved with money in politics, we must call it out. And then he brings up the Trump thing, find people on both sides. And then he says, um, when you say, you know, money drives support for Israel, we must call it out. You are totally mischaracterizing what she said. She never said it's only Israel where money drives support. 
never said it. In fact, she said the opposite. She said it for Israel. She said it for Saudi Arabia. She said we should boycott Saudi Arabia. She also says we should boycott Israel. Now, does that... They would call her an anti-Semite for that, but they don't call her an Islamophobe. You call, she calls for boycotting Saudi Arabia, not an Islamophobe. You call for boycotting Israel, definitely anti-Semitic. You have to understand something, Chuck. You're a hack. You and everybody who went along with this smear are hacks. You're hacks. I find it hard to believe that anybody actually thinks Ilhan Omar is an anti-Semite. I really find it hard to believe. Because she's actually bent over backwards to be clear about all this stuff. She's gone after Saudi Arabia. She's gone after money and politics in the various lobbies. She was part of Justice Democrats. And one of the core things about Justice Democrats, I know because I'm one of the founders, is no corporate PAC money. And the whole reason behind that is we know that money corrupts politicians. So if you take money from corporations, it's human nature to want to do the bidding of those corporations and help them out. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. You give me money for my campaign, okay. I'll look the other way and give you a tax credit or something when I'm in office. So part of her core ideology when it comes to politics is the correct point that money influences politicians. She never said it was only Israel. You're saying that she said it was only Israel, and you're being massively disingenuous. And also what you're doing is dangerous. And we've, I've seen this so much recently. They're, they try to equate, like, oh, yeah, it's your anti-Semites. They got crazy anti-Semites on both sides, bro. What? What I hear from people on the left is, oh, my God, Israel needs to stop permanently occupying Palestinian land. They need to stop effectively having an apartheid system of government, and they need to make a peace deal. And we're going to be very critical of Israel. That's what I hear on the left, on the right. Yeah, there's a faction of the right that's flat-out anti-Semitic. As, um, as Adam Johnson says, there's a difference between saying the bankers control the system and the bankers with three parentheses on each side of the word bankers control the system. One of those things is massively anti-Semitic, and they're saying secret Jewish money controls everything, and it's the Jews who secretly run the world. That's what anti-Semites on the far right are saying. On the left, nobody says that. Nobody I've seen. Maybe there's a handful of people who I don't know who I've never seen, but all the criticisms that get called anti-Semitic on the left are People saying what Ilhan Omar said, which is just money controls politics and Israel is no exception to that rule, or they go after the Israeli government for being a terrible human rights violating government. And they are that, but they get called anti-Semitic for calling it out. So this is massively disingenuous. And by the way, they did this, we covered the story, I think it was either Schumer or Hillary Clinton or one of them, uh, spoke at AIPAC a few years back, and they literally said, like, BDS is anti-Semitic. So you see the problem here? They conflate any criticism of Israel with hating all Jews. It is a cheap, gross trick. And they do it because they actually can't respond on the substance. The substantive point that Ilhan Omar was making that led to all this meltdown where everybody in Washington, D.C. accused her of being an anti-Semite was, it's all about the Benjamins, meaning what? AIPAC buys politicians in the U.S. to be pro-Israel. Again, it's not specific to Israel. It's all lobbies. That's what they're trying to do. That's the whole point of a fucking lobby. But her point was it's all about the Benjamins. Israel, the Israel lobby is trying to buy politicians to be pro-Israel. And you know what? That's 100% correct. And the records prove it. The records prove it. What do we do, a $38 billion weapons deal? 
with a government that just in 2014 massacred Palestinian civilians, including 80% civilians and 500 children. This is the government that the UN is always saying, stop with your illegal settlements. This is the government that we pretend to care about human rights, and then we give them $38 billion in weapons? You want to know why we do that? Because it is all about the Benjamins. It is all about the Benjamins. So this fucking, these liars, they're liars. That's what he is. He's a liar. Chuck, you're lying. That's what you're doing. Money does control politics, and Israel is no exception. And no, she didn't say it's only Israel. You're saying she said that because you're trying to smear her. Now, don't turn around then and scream about unity. Don't you dare fucking do that. Because that's a trick, again, from the establishment Democrats to try to make the left stop taking over the party because it's working. That's why we got Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That's how we got Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and Ro Khanna and, and others. Is because we have people who are running in an unapologetically leftist way, and guess what? They're the most popular people in the House. So what's the trick you use? Oh, my God, stop this populist left insurgency from taking over the party. Unity, unity, unity. I saw the other, uh, just last night, uh, Justice Democrats apparently uh, is promising the Democrats, oh, we're only, don't worry, we're, we're only going to go after safe seats. We're not going to go after the unsafe seats because we don't want to, uh, you know, threaten uh, unity. Excuse you? The whole point of Justice Democrats is that we realize a populist left philosophy wins everywhere. There is no unsafe seat and safe seat. That's not a thing. When our ideology appeals to people across the board, except in the like, most wealthy districts, by the way, because populism doesn't sell when you're already doing really well and you're one of the elites, but it works in red states, it works in blue states. It works in all different kinds of districts. So... No, don't let them gaslight you. And that's what they're doing. They're gaslighting everybody. Oh, we can't. Unity, unity. Anyway, now let me equate Ilhan Omar with Donald Trump and Ilhan Omar with far right-wing white nationalists. I care so much about unity, which is why I'm going to shiv the young, really interesting, and really good Democrat that was just elected who's changing the game. I care so much about unity that I'm going to keep shiving the left. Fuck you, man. No, we're coming after you, dude. We're coming after you. You're the old guard, and you're wrong about so much, and it's embarrassing. You voted for the Iraq war, dude. Retire, retire, retire. You voted for the Iraq war, an illegal offensive war against a country that didn't attack us, which cost $7 trillion when all is said and done. Over 4,000 Americans dead, minimum 200,000 Iraqi civilians dead. And you're going to lecture anybody about anything? I mean, you were against the Iran deal. So apparently... You agreeing with Trump is you being reasonable, but Ilhan Omar speaking the truth about money and politics is anti-Semitic. You suck at your job, dude. You suck at your job. Okay, next. So Republicans just went all in on walking the plank on the issue of health care. The U.S. Justice Department announced Tuesday that it is backing a U.S. District Court ruling that calls the Affordable Care Act 
unconstitutional. On Monday, the DOJ said it supports U.S. District Court Judge Reed O'Connor's December ruling that found the Affordable Care Act's mandate to be unconstitutional and concluded that the rest of the law was invalid as a result, according to The Hill. The stance backs up the Trump administration's ongoing efforts to dismantle the health care law, widely considered President Barack Obama's signature achievement while in office. Their old position was, we're against the law, but little bits of it can stand. Now they're saying no to that as well, which, if it stands, would mean 19.9 million people would lose health care. So they go on to brag about this. Trump brags about this. And he says, he tweeted, the Republican Party will soon be known as the party of health care. If Trump stands, and if it's a full repeal, 19.9 million people lose health care. To this point in Trump's presidency, 7 million people have already lost health care. Why? Because he's done so many anti-Obamacare executive orders that undermine the law, undercut the law, and make it so people lose their health insurance. So he's actively trying to undermine the law, and he's doing it for political reasons. He's a knee-jerk reactionary against Obama's uh, policies. And as a result of that, people are hurting, but he doesn't care, because the ultimate goal in his mind is just scrap the law. I don't care about the fallout. I'm saying I'm defining victory as scrapping the law, so everything else is just noise doesn't matter. Some people lost their health insurance. I don't know. The tremendous health insurance will take its place. When he proposed Trump care, remember going back to the debate about Trump care? You know what its approval rating was? 12%. One poll, I think, had it at a whopping 17%. So he wanted to scrap an already right-wing proposal and replace it with, as Alan Grayson famously said, and he got a lot of shit for it, um, if you get sick, die quickly. So These guys are jokes, man. They're jokes. And the Democrats can and should pounce on this, and you shouldn't go anywhere without bringing up that fact. 19.99 million people will lose health care if they get their way. And also, they've been gaslighting everybody because Trump has been saying, oh, we believe in protection for pre-existing conditions. And then he goes on to now the Department of Justice is saying, yeah, we're on the side of scrapping all of Obamacare. Wait, what happened? Because their old position was, oh, you got to scrap the individual mandate, you got to scrap most of it, but there are little bits that can stay. That was their old position. Now their new position is everything's got to go. Everything's got to go. Okay, so then that means even the, the provisions, and by the way, most provisions of Obamacare are overwhelmingly popular according to polling, but even the most popular provisions got to go. Protection for pre-existing conditions got to go. Um, provision that says 80% of the money that goes into your health insurance company has to go to actual health care. That's got to go. So we go back to the bureaucratic nightmare of 50% administrative costs, only 50% of the money going towards care. Um, staying under your parents' role, uh, under their health care role until you're 26, that goes as well. So all the things, Medicaid expansion, all of it, they want all of it gone, which again is why 19.9 million people would lose health care, and they're bragging about it. By the way, this is the difference between Democrats and Republicans. They will try to sell you a shoebox with feces in it, and they'll pretend like it's the most wonderful thing in the world. Meanwhile, the Democrats' proposal is, uh, proposals are great, 
but they compromise it away and give away half of it, and then they don't know how to sell it, and they don't know how to fight, and it's embarrassing. And that's what we're seeing right now. I'm going to get to that story in a second as to what the Democratic response is. But just know, this is Donald Trump and his government saying, no, no. You, think, you thought I was playing about getting rid of Obamacare? I'm 100% going to get rid of it. And also, they're so delusional that even though it's a fact that if you totally scrap it, everything just implodes. I mean, the system's already shitty, but it's, forget it. Dunzo, if you go down that road astronomical numbers of uninsured people, it, just be, it would be a nightmare. But he doesn't know, and he doesn't care. <laughs> he just doesn't care. He doesn't care. They don't care. Just like with his tax law, you think he knew the impact? He didn't know the fucking impact of that. Did he even know it was going to increase the deficit, which he pretended to care about, by trillions of dollars? He didn't know. He didn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't know. He doesn't care. Both of those things. So just destroying everything in sight, and then walking away with a cocky smile on his face as if he nailed it. He didn't nail it. He's horrendous at his job. Okay, let me take a quick break. When we come back, Democrats have responded um, to Trump trying to put the final knife in the back of Obamacare. We'll talk about that. And then also... We will talk about Barack Obama inserting his name back into the discourse to gaslight the left. Stay right there. We'll be right back.
Alright, bitches. Let's keep it going. So I have quite a bit to talk about, including one more on health care. Actually, there's another one later on in the show, but that involves America's dad, Bernie Sanders. This one is not about our dad. Well, I mean, I guess a little bit. It actually touches on his stance a little bit here. So Democrats um, have responded to Donald Trump trying to put the final knife in the back of Obamacare. This is in Vox. They say House Democrats are rolling out a plan to strengthen the Affordable Care Act that would expand federal insurance subsidies and reverse the Trump administration's attacks on the health care law, but avoids the party's internal fight about more ambitious proposals to extend health coverage. Democrats released the bill the day after the Trump administration said it wanted the entire health care law thrown out by the courts, underscoring the striking divide between the two parties on an issue on an issue at the top of voters' minds. The new legislation sticks to policies that should win immediate support from the entire Democratic caucus. House Democrats are taking a slower approach on Medicare buy-ins and single-payer Medicare for All, soliciting information from the Congressional Budget Office and planning to hold hearings later this year. But these proposals, largely carried over from an earlier bill by Representative Frank Pallone, Richard Neal, and Bobby Scott, were the ones they had ready to go. So here's what's in the bill. It expands tax credits available under Obamacare, both reducing costs for lower-income families and expanding eligibility so middle-class families can receive federal assistance. It creates a national reinsurance program to offset high medical bills for insurers and thereby keep premium increases in check. And it rolls back Trump's actions to, or actions expanding skimpier health insurance plans, the catastrophic plans. Uh, giving states the freedom to undermine the law's benefits requirements and cutting enrollment outreach funding. So, in other words, this is just an attempt where Trump is undermining Obamacare, stabbing it in the back, shiving it in the side in a thousand ways, and Democrats are like, no, we will go around you and we will shore it up. Now, there are a variety of ways in which Donald Trump has gone after Obamacare. The first thing he's done is a, a plethora of executive orders that have undermined it, uh, and that has had an impact. Like, one of the things he's done is basically axed all the funding that was supposed to go towards getting the word out about Obamacare, so now people don't know when the enrollment period is, and they got to find it out on their own, and so that's one of the things he did, but he's done multiple executive orders, basically hurting Obamacare. Now, beyond that, uh, the federal government was involved in a lawsuit, uh, or excuse me, Republican states were involved in a lawsuit where they were trying to ax the entire law. And that wasn't working for a long time, but then recently they went to this hack right-wing judge who said, yes, uh, we, I agree with that. Now, the position of the Trump administration had been, yeah, we're against the law, we're against, um, we, we want to get rid of the individual mandate, we want to get rid of most of the law, but there are certain parts of it that are constitutional. That was their position. Now, they just, just this week, they came out and said, did we say we think some parts of the law are constitutional? No. We agree with what the judge just found. The entire law is unconstitutional. So already to this point, um, 7 million people have lost health insurance uh, under Trump's administration. 
if this stands, if this stands, and a bunch of Democrats have jumped in to go on the opposite side and say, no, no, the law is constitutional, and so it's still being battled out in court. But if this stands, 19.9 million people will lose health insurance. And Trump's bragging about it, by the way. Uh, the Republicans will soon be known as the party of health care. Now, in step the Democrats and the focus of this story. Their reaction to this is, so again, Republicans, here's the Republican position. Fuck you. Fuck your mother. Fuck Obamacare. Fuck every part of Obamacare, even though they're going to gaslight people and say, we believe in protections for pre-existing conditions. As they actively fight to get rid of the law that protects pre-existing conditions. So they're lying. Their, their Republican position is, fuck you. Let's go back to the wild, wild west and let for-profit health insurance companies run wild and let's have like 30 or 40 million people uninsured in this country and everybody else getting shitty health care and paying way too much. That's the Republican position. The Democratic position is, <laughs> let's go back to the status quo where we cover a few more people and like barely keep premiums in check and like meet the Republicans halfway. What are you doing? You already caved, again, the original health care debate. Did the Democrats push for the actual left-wing position, which is nationalization of health care, which is the UK system, the NHS, where it's uh, public funding of public institutions and our entire health care system is, is public? Did they push for that? No. Did they push for the French uh, single-payer system, where you have public funding of private institutions? No. Did they push for a public option? where you have still have the private health insurance companies intact, but people can opt into a government uh, system. No. They did the right-wing position. The right-wing position of individual mandate system. It was uh, the Heritage Foundation that came up with it. Mitt Romney did it in Massachusetts. Bob Dole supported it in the 1990s when he ran for president. Newt Gingrich and Chuck Grassley supported it. They caved all the way to the Republican position, and they got zero Republican votes when they proposed their idea. And then fast forward to today... They keep doing everything to stab Obamacare in the back. They make clear they will never stop fucking fighting it. And the Democratic position is, all right, we'll, work, we'll meet you halfway, and we'll just try to shore up Obamacare. You're embarrassing, man. You're embarrassing. You're so embarrassing. You're so fucking embarrassing. You're so goddamn embarrassing. Now, Bernie comes out and says, they ask him, hey, Bernie, are you going to support this bill to shore up um, Obamacare? And what is Bernie saying? No, I'm not going to support that. Why? He's not going to support it because you know what's going to happen? It's going to get to Donald Trump's desk anyway, and he's going to, not, he's going to veto it. He's not going to let that stand. He's basing half of his fucking political ideology is based on, I hate Obama, and I hate everything he did, and I'm going to undermine Obamacare. So you put a bill on his desk that shores up Obamacare, and you think he's going to sign it? It's a waste of time and a waste of energy. So you're... You gave away the farm up front. You started the negotiation yet again by giving in. That's what you just did. That's what the Democrats just did. Oh, uh, why? Let's start. Let's our starting position will be let's shore up Obamacare. Why would you do that? So the bill's not going to go anywhere either way, and your position is a bold half measure that still keeps millions of people uninsured, and then. All the attention now is on Bernie for not... Why aren't you supporting it? Are you... Do you have fucking concrete in your heads, you idiots? It's not going to get signed, and it's a half measure anyway. Why would he support it? And what they also don't get is... 
do you think if push came to shove, he actually wouldn't support it? He would. He would. But you don't give in immediately. What's wrong with you? The Democrats go into a car dealership. A car costs $20,000. They talk to the salesman and they go, I'll give you $21,000 for it. And the salesman is like, the price is 28 And the Democrats are like, deal. <laughs> That's the Democrats. And then we finally have a politician in Bernie Sanders who's willing to walk in and go, oh, the price tag is 20000 I'd like to pay 10 This is how you're supposed to negotiate and then maybe you meet in the middle 15. And maybe when all said and done, we get a public option. At least when we have a Democratic administration. Right now, I admit, Trump is not going to sign anything. Okay, nothing that's positive on health care will Trump sign. Basically, the Democrats are waving the white flag again and saying, yeah, the best we're ever going to do is a milk toast, middle of the road, piece of shit policy that still leaves millions of people uninsured. And that's, it, it's beyond embarrassing, man. And by the way, this is why De- Justice Democrats was created. The whole point is supposed to be that you don't give up, you don't concede, you stand on principle, and you fight for the people. And, you know, the, with the De- it doesn't matter. With the current makeup of the Democrats, if you have a supermajority, it doesn't matter. They're not going to do the right thing anyway. So you need to get real lefties in there. And it's, it's, this is just shameful and embarrassing. And again, like I said, now all the energy is pointed at uh, Bernie Sanders. They're like, why won't you support it? And then, of course, because he's running for president, and he's like, here we go again with smears. He's like, okay, I, I signed on to it, and I'm proposing to shore up Obamacare. These guys shoot themselves in the foot, and as they do it, they think they're like geniuses. That's all of Democratic-leaning media, the entire Democratic establishment. They take a gun, shoot themselves in the foot, and think they're a genius for doing it. Berating Bernie Sanders because he's daring to say, hey, this bill is not going to pass anyway, so why don't we do the right thing and push for Medicare for All where everybody's covered and be clear with the American people where we stand that we're with them because 70% of them want that. And that also just happens to be the correct answer. And pass it and then make the Republicans go on record against it and then use that in an election. Nope. Go with the unpopular, shitty, neoliberal, technocratic half measure that's already not polling well, that doesn't cover everybody, is, is a bullshit approach. Do that instead. Concede up front. And now we're going to berate you, Bernie, for not conceding up front. And we're going to make you concede because we're all so dumb we don't understand how to negotiate. The Democrats need new leadership. It's not even close. When I tell you, you'd become a rich person if you bet every single time the Democrats were strategizing. If you bet, I bet they're going to do the wrong thing. You'd be rich because every time reliably they do the wrong thing. And then they berate the people who are right. It really is incredible. Okay. All right, let's go to Obama. Let's go to Obama. 
Oh, I do, do I have a video? No, I don't have a video for this one. So former President Barack Obama is back, and he's looking to gaslight the left at a very crucial moment in American history. This is sad, but I can't say I'm too surprised. So this is from the Daily Beast. They say, former President Barack Obama has cautioned freshman House Democrats that the liberal policies becoming popular in their ranks, such as Medicare for All and the Green New Deal, will cost a lot of money. Although he encouraged the lawmakers to push forward bold ideas during their first year in the House, he said they had to consider the price tags, too. Quote, he said, we as Democrats shouldn't be afraid of big, bold ideas, but also need to think in the nitty gritty about how those big, bold ideas will work and how you pay for them, said one person in the room, according to the Washington Post. The former president didn't mention specific policies, but some at the event took his words as a warning about Medicare for All and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal proposal, most Democrats seek the presidential nomination. Most Democrats seeking the presidential nomination have backed a single-payer health care system, and the plan that aims to make the U.S. economy uh, energy efficient within the next decade. If Barack Obama came forward and he said, "Hey, listen, here are my specific criticisms of the Green New Deal, and here's how I want to make it better," we wouldn't be doing this segment because he'd probably be right. I've criticized the Green New Deal for the specifics because I think they've lumped in too many things where they're like they put Medicare for all in it. It's like that's separate. We're talking about the Green New Deal. Like, let's make that its own thing because it's supposed to be its own thing. So if he had specific criticisms all day long, I'm with him 100%. But he doesn't. And what he's doing is actually a, it's, a, it's a right-wing criticism is what it is. Oh, what about the price tag? You've got to keep in mind the price tag. got to keep in mind the price tag. Now, again, this is not something, even Democrats don't bring up the price tag when we talk about Wall Street bailouts. Obama did that, by the way. When we talk about military spending and the giant increase that actually just happened that many Democrats voted for, um, they don't bring it up when we talk about corporate welfare. Subsidies to these corporations, whether it's through the Export-Import Bank or whether it's through, like, ExxonMobil, for example. So this is gaslighting. Hey, the only counter-argument I'm going to make when you say, let's do a very basic thing that every other developed country has, like Medicare for All, like a single-payer system, my only criticism of that is going to be cost. Well, again, that's gaslighting because, especially when it comes to health care, it would save According to a study from the University of uh, Massachusetts Amherst, that would save $5 trillion over the course of a decade. $5 trillion. $5 trillion. So for you to say, well, it's going to cost a lot. Yeah, but you're also getting rid of the, your private premiums. So if you don't have to pay premiums, then you're net saving money. Even though your taxes go up, you save money because your premiums are no longer a thing. So... I mean, this is just sad. Dude, you're the last Democratic president. And at a time when there's renewed energy on the left and an insurgent left, which is really the only hope for the Democrats, you come out of the shadows to say, ah, easy here, easy. Let's not go too far. At a time like this, you're saying let's not go too far. That Overton window is so far to the right that the right fringe of it is bordering on fascism. And the left fringe of the Overton window in D.C. is center-right corporatism. 
So goddamn right we need to pull that Overton window back to the left, and we need to fight for the policies that are overwhelmingly popular. And no, gaslighting over cost is not intelligent. That doesn't make you smart. That makes you pro-corporate. There are, like, the idea, how are you going to pay for it? It's detailed, like, Bernie Sanders has a page on his website detailing how you pay for everything. And they still ask the question, how are you going to pay for it? Wait, you're the media. Isn't your job to actually know that? <laughs> like, you're the one who's supposed to know that. So that when, like, another candidate criticizes Bernie, you go, actually, the way he says he pays for it is by this, this, and this. But they don't do that. Instead, they're on the side of power. Media is supposed to hold powerful accountable. No, they take the side of power, and they question the people who are questioning power. And now Obama's doing the same thing. Well, think about the price tag. Think about the price tag. Think about the price tag. Dude, you did a, what was it, a $787 billion stimulus, and now you're gaslighting us about the price tag and different things? When some of the things you're questioning it on save money? And you're, again, you're only bringing it up for left-wing priorities. You never do it for center-left priorities or right-wing priorities. Come on, man. Come on, come on, come on. I mean, listen, the more you see stories like this, the more you realize there's a reason why the very first story about Obama after his presidency was that he took like $400,000 to go give a speech at a Wall Street firm. Shows you where his priorities lie, and it shows you that in this dichotomy within the Democratic Party, the populist left, the Bernie Kratz, versus the centrists, the corporatists. Which side is he on? I mean, every now and then he speaks out of both sides of his mouth, right? Like, you heard it even here. We need to be for bold ideas. I agree with that. But, but, maybe not this one and maybe not that one. They're the most important ones. But, Classic Obama. I'll hedge. I'll speak out of both sides of my mouth. But ultimately, when push comes to shove, I'm smack dab in the center. I'm a centrist, and that's what my policies are going to be, and um, I'll try to gaslight you the rest of the way. And he did it in 2016, too. He did it with Bernie. I don't know if you guys remember this, but he stayed mostly silent throughout the primary, and at one point he, he, he stepped up and he said, uh, you know, like, he gave an interview, and he's like, well, you know, it's not like we're starting the system from scratch here. And if we were starting the system from scratch, then maybe some of these more further left ideas are good ideas. But since we're not starting the system from scratch, we've got to be reasonable and pragmatic about all this. So every now and then he shows you exactly what he believes, but he tries to walk that fine line because he knows if you go just far enough, then even he's not safe from the, you know, the left tearing him down and saying you're against our fundamental core principles and policies. But he's walked that line well enough, and he's a likable enough person that he still has like a 60% approval rating, despite the fact that he's been a centrist and gaslighting us for quite a while. So now we will talk about our dad and the new attack from the right against our dad. You're going to like this one. So RNC Research, also known as uh, the GOP War Room, decided to go after Bernie Sanders on Twitter. This is what they do. They do opposition research nonstop. And um, they went after him on the issue of health care. This is what they posted. Take a look. 
So there's lots of people running on Medicare for All, but there's been some interesting sort of debate about what it means, and there's sort of two different ways that people are talking about it now. One is what you're, you've talked about, a four-year phase, and you lower it, and you get Medicare for All. The other is the idea of sort of a Medicare buy-in, right? So you don't say everybody's in the Medicare system. You just say everyone has the option to. You can optionally buy in at Medicare rates. That's called Medicare for America. There's a bill uh, with that name in the House. That is polling very well right now, uh, 51 to 30 percent, whereas the, the sort of more traditional Medicare for all the you support is, is is even what do you what do you think about that as an alternative why not sort of slide towards the system in an optional way because ultimately we have to recognize that the current system is incredibly dysfunctional and wasteful its goal is to make profits for the insurance companies and the drug companies you are not going to be able in the long run to have cost-effective universal health care unless you change the system, unless you get rid of the insurance companies, unless you stand up to the greed of the drug companies and lower prescription drug costs. That's the only way that you could provide quality care to all people. I look at health care, Chris, the same way as I look at public education, right. the same way I look at police protection, fire protection. All people get it regardless of their income. It is publicly funded. That is the most cost-effective way to provide health they thought they got him. It's amazing. There's a lot of utility, just so everybody knows. There's a lot of utility in just being like, yes, that's right. There's a lot of utility in that. And that's something Democrats almost never do. Well, guess what? Bernie knows what to do here. And he actually responded to them on Twitter and I think they had, they wrote something like, Bernie wants to eliminate private health insurance companies. And uh, Bernie responded, quote tweeted it and said, you're damn right. <laughs> Go get them, dad. Get their ass. And I also like what um, Randy said on Twitter. He said um, something along the lines of Republicans are reduced to saying insurance company lives matter <laughs> in the face of like smart, intelligent Democratic politicians arguing for the right things. And that's so true. Like, you think that's a winning message? It's like when I went on Fox News and they tried to argue against taxing, like, the rich, raising taxes on the rich, and I was like, really? This is the hill you're going to die on? By all means. The American people are with me. 58% of the American people are with me. And we have Jeff Bezos, a guy who has over $100 billion, at a time we have tens of thousands of homeless veterans and hundreds of thousands of homeless Americans. So if you want to, if your goal is to defend the rich... By all means, go right ahead. So Bernie's reaction here was exactly correct. And shame on Chris Hayes a little bit, because, and he could uh, counter-argue and say, well, I was just asking questions. But you've got to keep it real. And that Medicare for America bill is it's a last-ditch effort, a ploy to try to save the insurance companies. That's all it is. It's Democrats who have taken money from insurance companies who say, oh, yeah, let's, uh, let's be for strong, bold reform, but their reform includes keeping the health insurance companies in existence and as they are. And, of course, they're the fucking problem. And that's what um, Bernie Sanders knows, and that's what many of the other candidates don't know. And that was also, I have no idea how they got that number on Medicare for All. My guess is they asked the question in an incredibly skewed way. Again, I don't have the poll in front of me, but for the Medicare for All poll to come back even, as Chris Hayes said, what that means is they had to frame it as like, are you in favor of a total government takeover of health care or something along those lines? What people don't know about polls, or many people don't know about polls, is that it all 
how you ask the question is vitally important. So if you just ask people, are you for Medicare for all? It comes back 70% say yes. If you ask people, are you in favor of full nationalization, government takeover of healthcare? They'll say no. So it all depends how you ask it. But my guess is they asked that question in as skewed a way as possible and still got 50-50 when they came back. Um, so, and they probably framed the Medicare for America one in a much rosier language. Would you like to have the choice to buy into uh, Medicare and also give people the choice to not if they don't want to opt into it? It's all in the framing. And my guess is the framing, they were searching for an answer and they got the answer they were searching for based on how they structured the question in the poll. Um, because, again, overall, Medicare for All keeps going up, and it's 70% in the polls when you ask it flat out, are you for Medicare for All? Um, so the Medicare for America thing is a scam. Bernie's calling it out the right way. And corporate Democrats and Republicans have found common cause on this in being against the solution for our health care system. And the only thing I'd add to what Bernie's saying here is this. Because sometimes the way it's framed, there is a little bit of cringing if you don't walk the right line. And what I would say to Bernie is this. Yes, you're right. Get rid of the for-profit insurance, uh, for-profit health insurance companies as they exist right now. But I would always stress, we are not banning all private health insurance. You're allowed to get supplemental private health care. And to be clear, Bernie's bill allows for that. It allows for that. But I feel like sometimes he doesn't say that part and what people think is he's totally banning all for-profit or, or all health insurance full stop. And that's not true. Again, if you want plastic surgery, some sort of supplemental care, yeah, there'll be uh, you know, private health insurance that you can get. And he never really stresses that. And he stresses just the, like, yeah, let's get rid of the health insurance companies. And I would be just a tad more nuanced if I was him. I still like the aggression and I like the focus. So I like the idea of saying, yeah, did I stutter? I want to get rid of that as the main source of our health insurance. Everybody's covered, no rapacious middleman, full stop. And then in addition, supplemental private care, I'm not banning that outright. That's what I think is the ideal answer because there you cover all your bases. And there you also say to people, as Bernie always does, he's great on the issue of health care and how he frames it usually. He says, like, no, no, I'm just asking for us to catch up to the rest of the industrialized world. That's all I'm asking for. That's it. If you're against that, then what you're saying is let's continue to be incredibly primitive. Fine, but that's the position you're taking. Um, but, yeah, it's hilarious to me that they think, like, they think this is a winning political issue, Republicans, and that's what happens. Their arrogance oftentimes is a political asset for them because they're always strutting and always like, yeah, we nailed this shit. Even when they're pushing for incredibly unpopular policies, they're acting like, yeah, we got them. We're so great. So oftentimes their arrogance is a massive asset for them politically. But then every now and then when you're dealing with a, an opponent that knows what they're doing, like Bernie often does, and you're hitting them on an issue where you're not even close to popular, your arrogance misfires and you look like the biggest jackasses in the world. And that's what happened here. Okay. Let me do one more, then I'll take a final break real quick.
In one single tweet, I'm going to prove to you how broken our healthcare system is and our pharmaceutical drug policies are. You guys probably already have a good sense of this because we've covered similar stories in the past, but this is just so clear that it's mind-boggling. So this is from Jeff Stein of the Washington Post, and he says the following. Number one, taxpayer-funded research discovers new use for HIV drug. Number two, company with monopoly on drug says government can't patent it. Number three, company makes $3 billion on the drug per year. Number four, taxpayers get no return on investment, and 80%, about 80% of people who need the treatment don't get it. If I were to try to sit down and map out on paper a system more corrupt and broken than the current one we have, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. We basically have, it's like a mafia-like system. That's what it is. That's what our current healthcare system is, health insurance system is, and pharmaceutical drug policies are. That's what it is. This is a stranglehold from special interest lobbies on our government where they get away with anything. Think about the fact that Medicare can't negotiate for a drug crisis. Think about that. So you know what that means, right? That means whatever the pharmaceutical companies say taxpayers have to pay, they have to pay. That's what that means. So all, another thing they do is you, you can't get, they're not allowed to get generic drugs that do the same job for a much lower price. They have to get the original, the brand name, and the prices are jacked up. And the pharmaceutical companies price gouge the shit out of the American people. And also, by the way, we kind of like subsidize the rest of the world in a way because they get much cheaper drugs. And a lot of that is because the prices on us are massively jacked up and then everybody else gets the more discounted uh, prices. So we don't have drug reimportation. And every time they try to pass it, Republicans are against it and many corporate Democrats are against it. Drug reimportation would cut it cut the price down massively. They don't allow the, nego- the negotiation for the drug prices. And oftentimes, like the story we covered the other day, 11% of Americans have to ration their, their drugs in order to afford it. So one out of 10 Americans is like, I can't take the required dose because I can't afford it. And now you see, I mean, this is like upfront, very clear, It's insane. So taxpayers pay for research into these products. Then uh, a pharma company swoops in and gets the rights to that drug. And then they turn around and sell it back to you and price gouge the shit out of you. But wait a second. You paid for the initial research of it. You paid for the upfront research and development. And then now you're going to get – so you're getting charged twice, once for the research and development and then once when you actually need the product. And they price gouge you in the process of that second charge. And then, again, probably the grossest part is that they made $3 billion on it, and about 80% of the people who needed it can't get it because they can't afford it. This is insanity, man. This is absolute insanity. And in a system that wasn't totally corrupted by big money, we would have fixed this immediately. But that's just the thing. The system is so corrupted by big money that this is just another day in America. And none of you guys are probably even surprised as I read this to you. You're probably like, yeah, 
That's what it is. But we shouldn't react like that. This is shit to be in the streets over. As fucking Rachel Maddow and her, you know, cadre of idiots on MSNBC are screaming about nonsense, collusion that didn't happen, uh, this is the shit they should be focusing on. Because this is the stuff where we should be in the streets and we should be fighting back and we should have a system that actually works for us. Because right now it is most definitely screwing us. All right, let's take a break. Um, When I come back, I have actually a bunch of really important stories. Glenn Beck is a dumbass. I'm going to destroy him. I got um, real collusion from the Trump administration, and you're going to find out with who. And then also, what is the fastest growing industry? This is really interesting. The fastest growing industry in the United States of America. Stay right there.
right. I'm here, y'all. I'm here. And I hope you didn't go anywhere because you are going to enjoy what I have for you now. <sighs> Change my graphic, and off we go. Okay. So the Mueller report may have uh, said that there's no evidence of Trump colluding with the Russian government uh, when it comes to the election, but that doesn't mean that there's no collusion, because there's a lot of collusion with Trump and his team, and uh, a variety of actors who I would call bad faith actors and special interests, and uh, this is stuff that unfortunately in the midst of the Russiagate madness, stories like this, I'm sure that, um, you know, you haven't heard at all in mainstream outlets. They really don't talk about stuff like this. And my contention all along has been that this is where the real story is because this is directly impacting people's lives in a devastating way. And it shows that Donald Trump is massively corrupt, but it's just not really discussed. So uh, Judd Legum, who's now with uh, the outlet Popular Information, reported on a story that, again, is not getting any coverage. Look at this. The nation's payday lenders are at Trump National Doral in Miami today. This was a a week or two ago. Um, They're at Trump National Doral, Miami today playing golf. It costs $450 per round. Wow. They can afford it. Trump just gutted basic borrower protections imposed by Obama. The change is worth $7 billion annually to payday lenders. So I'm going to give you some more information on this in a second. But understand, this is why the general rule is it's accepted that presidents shouldn't have sprawling business interests because it's so easy to be corrupted. Now, the rule is, under U.S. law, Trump cannot accept money from foreign governments at his businesses. Is he doing that? Yes. He's doing it with Saudi Arabia at his hotel in Washington, D.C., where he's accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then in turn, of course, he gives them $100 billion weapons deal um, and, among many other things, helping them in terms of refueling missions for the genocide they're committing in Yemen. Same thing, Israel's done the same thing and bought influence and, you know, given Jared Kushner millions of dollars from Israeli banks and they turn around and do everything they can and and give Israel everything they want, including moving the embassy to uh, Jerusalem, among other things. Um, So that's actually illegal and more specifically unconstitutional. That's called the Emoluments Clause. And Trump is in violation of the Emoluments Clause. And there's two court cases that have proceeded And, you know, if there's a fair shake in the cases, yeah, he's going to be found guilty of violating the Emoluments Clause, which is an impeachable offense. It is. Again, the wisdom of whether or not you should impeach is a different question. But in terms of is is that impeachable and is he guilty? It is impeachable and he is guilty. Okay. But that's not when it comes to actual business interests of the president and special interests exploiting that. I don't think that's technically illegal, but it should be. Now, why should it be? Because of this. So what are they doing? Payday lenders, they're not dumb. 
You think they chose, like, oh, we just chose, um, you know, Trump National Doral because we rolled the dice and found out, hey, we would all like this course the most. No, it's fucking strategic. They're not dumb. They're going, oh, if we give him a lot of money by having our events at his golf courses, and it is a lot of money, well, then he's more likely to take our phone calls and he's more likely to do what we want him to do. And you don't even have to say it. Like, that's it. See, the, the technicality people get you on on this front is they'll go, well, what's the quid pro quo? In other words, where's, like, the audio recording of Trump behind closed doors with predatory payday lender executives where they're like, okay, we will give you X amount, and in return, you do this, this, and this for us. You're not going to find that. But you don't need to, because our entire political system is built on this kind of corruption. And what they do is, they know, hey, we'll just give him a shitload of money at his various businesses. And then in turn, we know what they're going to do. We know they're going to look out for us in terms of policy. So beyond this, we covered the story previously. For Trump's inauguration, you know how much money he took from predatory uh, payday lenders? $1 million at his inauguration. Now, you think they gave that to them for shits and giggles? Because they agree with Trump's abortion policy or something? They knew what they were getting in return. So in return, what did Donald Trump do? He scrapped the Obama-era regulations that were just about to go be implemented, by the way. Um, and he also dropped federal court cases against the predatory payday lenders. Because they're often breaking the law and doing illegal things. And there was a giant court case that was proceeding against them brought by the federal government, he dropped it. He dropped the case, scrapped the new regulations, and now they're charging over 400%, and there's no rules. It's just fucking wild, wild west. There's your collusion. Now, what's going to sell better with the American public? The keep continuing to double down and push Russiagate when Mueller's report concluded there's, quote, no evidence of collusion. That's not bar. that's a quote from Mueller in Barr's summary. A quote from Mueller. No evidence of collusion. You want to keep talking about that, where people don't even see how that connects to their daily lives and your whole theory just is up in smoke? Or do you want to talk about how people's lives are materially being impacted in a disgusting way where they're getting, you know, this is, they're getting shook down by this giant predatory payday loan institution? And they're getting away with screwing you. And Trump is on their side. What happened? Donald Trump used to say, you know, the little man, the little man and woman or something like that will never be forgotten again. And this is, not only are they forgotten, he's actively robbing them. He didn't have to drop those cases. He didn't have to get rid of those regulations. But he did. I wonder why he did. Could be because he's corrupt and he took money from them. So for everybody who's like a Trump lover, however few of them are in my audience, there's no defending this. If you defend this, you're just sad. That's what you are. Because the facts are clear as day. We see what he's doing. We know what he's doing. He's colluding not just with the predatory payday loan industry. He's colluding with for-profit health insurance companies. He's colluding with military industrial complex. Fucking Pompeo and Bolton in his administration. He is the quintessential establishment president doing the bidding of the moneyed interests. That's 
those are the facts. And in the same way the facts may say no collusion with Russia, he is colluding with all the corrupt special interests and working against the interests of the American people. Okay. Let's have some fun. Let's take a trip down memory lane a little bit here. We're going to be going after uh, Glenn Beck. This used to be a somewhat daily occurrence. We should probably ask Lilith. Hey, Lilith, what do you think? How often would I go after Glenn Beck on Secular Talk circa 2014? What would you say? I want to say like at least two or three a week is my guess. At least two or three segments a week on Glenn Beck. That's my guess. But anyway, you're going to love this one. Let me set this up for you. So Glenn Beck is now pretending to be all high and mighty, um, and he's castigating media folks for getting Russiagate wrong. Now, as you all already know, I have no love for the people who botched Russiagate, and I have no love for them even more now after they're doubling down and continuing to make asses of themselves. And I've gone after them vociferously because I've been right on the main question. And, um, but Glenn Beck, on the other hand, for him to start uh, talking about how other people are bad at their media jobs, might want to reel it in a tad there, buddy. But nonetheless, here's the video of him going after mainstream media for botching Russiagate. Watch. Her opinion drives facts. Opinion is supposed to be driven by facts. Facts first, then opinion. You have an opinion he can't be the president. And so then you go out and you look for little pieces of facts that will, yes, if I put it that way and I put this word over here and that word over here and then this sentence from that person underneath, ha, 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 I've got it. Come on. He's got to be a spy, right? He's got to be a foreign agent. Come on. We all know he wants to destroy America. Even if it's not true, let's just say he's destroying America because our opinion has now become fact. Yeah, you know, fucked up that these media folks put their opinion ahead of the facts. And if anybody would know about putting their opinion ahead of the facts, it would be Glenn Beck. Give me, just give me an electoral college number for Romney, you know, ballpark. Uh, you know, 270 to win, and I think it's easy over that. I think it, I, I think it could be 320, 330. Um, I, I, I just, I agree. The president might go to prison for this one. This one document would take down... Uh, pretty much the whole power structure, pretty much everything. I will just tell you, it will take down the GOP. It will take down the Democrats. It will take down many members of Congress. It will take all of them down, and, I, and outside of Congress, it will take 
it will take them down. We have a, uh, a government that has built a, a cage. We have Marxist after Marxist after Marxist after Marxist, anti-capitalist everywhere. Global redistribution, not from the wealthy to the poor in America, but from the wealthy America to the poorest nations and a so, global governance so you're structure. They can grab companies. They think that it is a danger to the, to the nation. They can just grab it and shut you down. That's a little frightening with that power. And that's, that's not companies who take in stimulus. That's any company. Any they company. deem big enough to harm the economy, any they can company. take control of it. Now, let me ask you this. Could you say that Fox News? Yes. You darn right you could. Yes. Could you say that talk radio is? You bet. Of course you can. You can because take control of clear channels. Look how do we know Bin Laden's dead? You don't. There's another network who did a big, long dissertation last night based on me saying that I'm a madman because no intelligent person believes the book of Revelation is true. Well, I'm intelligent. I may not be the smartest guy, but I'm intelligent, and I believe it to be true. Agenda 21. They refer to it as sustainable development. Well, that sounds good. Gee, Wally, that sure sounds great to me. I mean, who's against development, especially the sustainable kind? Yeah. <laughs> you might change your mind when you hear a little bit of the background of sustainable development. You are for a time period going to have um, Nazi influence up here and maybe a Nazi state um, uh, come around. I think you're, you might even have some Nazi influence in the United States, unfortunately, because we've had it before, and it will happen there and there, I think. And I can't decide yet who gets the United Kingdom. If you don't think the government could come in and take your gun, you're out of your mind. Too easy. Way too easy. I've used that compilation many times in the past. He's just... Okay, let me say this. Of all of the political pundits, I'm pretty sure he's the most lost. Because I don't know if you guys remember, he went from being super right-wing guy, most anti-Obama guy on Fox News. He got canned on Fox News because he went too far. Then he started his own thing, The Blaze. By the way, they kind of went belly up, and there was just a deal recently with some other right-wing outlet where they bought him out or whatever. Um, but he went from being super right-wing guy to being pro-Ted Cruz to when Trump won the nomination, he went hard anti-Trump and pretended like he had principles and he didn't like Trump, when in reality he always loved Trump's policies and he just didn't like the mean tweets. And eventually, of course, he bent the knee. And he went from being the most ardent anti-Trump conservative, never Trumper, to now he's pro-Trump and he says he's going to vote for him in 2020. And he defends him on a regular basis. So nobody's more confused than, than uh, Glenn Beck because he had, at no point, is he actually being guided by principles or beliefs or ideology? At no point. He's just like a fucking lost grifter floating in the ether. He's a joke, and he's a con man, and he's a charlatan, and he's a fraud. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't watch that video of Glenn Beck castigating people for getting Russiagate wrong. And by the way, I agree. Those people are... I'm annoyed by them, and I've always been, and all my segments will show that. You're going to make any criticism of anybody else 
when it comes to the media? Dude, you heard it. He says Romney will get 320 to 330 presidential votes. What happened? I thought you said you're against putting opinion ahead of facts. There were no facts that indicated that would be the conclusion. He thought Obama would go to prison. He thought there were Marxists in the Obama administration pushing towards global, global government. None of that is true. What happened? I thought you were in favor of putting fact ahead of opinion, not opinion ahead of fact. Um, he said he believes in revelation. Yeah, really putting the facts first there, aren't you? Uh, he thought there would be an Agenda 21 takeover, and he thought a literal new Nazi state would develop. He's also been sued because he said the wrong person did, like, a terrorist attack, and he went with that, like, hardcore, and then it turns out that person didn't do it, and he was like, I fucked up. So, yeah, he's, stop, Glenn, just stop. You're sad. I have no idea how anybody still listens to guys like this, but they do, but they do. So we just have to deal with it and pick them apart as they go. Okay, next. I am going to tell you all about Barbara Bush. Wait, I got to, I'm like holding back a sneeze and I've been doing that. <coughs> oh. Oh. oh my God. I don't know where that came from. Oh shit, is it? It might be allergy time. No shit. It might be allergy time, y'all. Because, uh, you know, it's weird. With my allergies, I sometimes I get them, and sometimes I just don't get them. It's really strange. Like, sometimes, you know, right when the spring starts, I'll, be, I'll need to get Claritin or whatever, and that'll help. But other times, I just don't get allergies. Like, they're very weird in how, like, they come every, once every three or four seasons for me or whatever. I'll never understand that. But apparently you can develop allergies like late in your, in your life. Anyway. Um, all right. Barbara Bush. So I found this story fascinating. Barbara Bush apparently has a book that's being released after her death. She thinks she's like Tupac or something. So listen to what's in it. Barbara Bush blamed Donald Trump for her heart attack. It wasn't technically a heart attack, though she called it that. It was a crisis in her long battle with congestive heart failure and chronic pulmonary disease that hit her like a sledgehammer one day in June 2016. An ambulance was called to take her to the hospital. The two former presidents who had been at home with her that day, her husband and her oldest son, trailed in a car driven by the Secret Service. The tumultuous presidential campaign in general and Trump's ridicule of son Jeb Bush in particular had riled her, quote, angst, she told me. Bush's dislike of the president was hardly a secret. During the 2016 campaign, she said, I don't know how women could ever vote for him. But the fact that her whole party is marching to the beat of his drum had shaken her whole belief system. To the point that when she was asked whether she still considered herself a Republican in February 2018, she said, I'd probably say no today. What? Now, so this is Barbara Bush saying, no, I don't really even consider myself a Republican anymore because it's Trump's party and I'm not like that. But also, if I'm not mistaken, and you guys can correct me on this if I'm wrong, um, didn't H.W. Bush indicate that like he's not going to vote for Trump? Now, I don't know 
if he actually voted for Hillary. But I think he did not vote for Donald Trump. And it's weird because I don't know what to make of this story. Because on the one hand, the Bush family, I despise. But on the other hand, they think they're taking some sort of moral principled stance against like, oh, no, this party's gone off the rails. But I feel like the details matter. Like if they say the reason why they've gone off the rails is why I'm against them, if they bring up the issue of like, okay, so they're, Trump's like openly bigoted, and I'm not cool with that. We like to have our bigotry on the down low. <laughs> we like to mask it a little bit, and we don't just come out and say it. And Trump says it, and we're against that. We're more polite. Okay, I mean, but really what I fear is if you talk to them and get specific answers, and you can't now because she's dead, but they would say like, oh, we're against his tariffs. <laughs> and like Cheney said recently, like, oh, we're against the fact that he does anti-war rhetoric while he still increases the wars, by the way. He's still doing them, and he's escalating there. So he's doing what they want him to do, but he, as he does it, he pretends like he's against it. So that's the thing is, like, the details matter as to why they're anti-Trump. And the reality is anybody being anti-Trump is a good thing generally because Trump is really the establishment's bitch and doing whatever they want. But it's almost like their criticism is, I want him to be even more bad and wrong and terrible. Except on the rhetoric front, where they want him to soften it and not be... Like, their, their whole thing is, I think, like, leadership. We're all about leadership. And they want somebody, and Jeb Bush said this recently in an interview, like, we want somebody who's going to soothe the nation at times of crisis and stuff like that. And they just know Trump is a bomb thrower, and they don't like that. They don't like that angle of him. But, I don't know, the fact that... I feel like the last straws to them was the personal stuff. Like, oh, he called Jeb Bush low energy. Oh, now I'm having a heart attack. I'm not making fun of the heart attack. Let me just be clear. But, like, she's kind of saying, like, oh, yeah, the way he went after Jeb gave me angst, and then that led to my congestive heart failure, which wasn't technically a heart attack, but I had a heart episode. I don't know. That was, all, that was always my favorite part of Trump is when, he's <laughs> is when he was shitting on all the other Republicans because he showed how everything was so farcical. Like, it's not like every, like if you get rid of Trump, everybody on stage is so serious and they're so smart. Like, no, you had Marco Rubio, who's a fucking idiot. You had uh, Ben Carson, who's asleep. You know, you had Jeb Bush, who's, you know, born with a silver spoon in his mouth, and he's just part of the Lucky Sperm Club, and that's why he's up there on stage. You had Ted Cruz, who's smarmy as all hell, and he lies nonstop. Like, they think that they could just say Trump is everything wrong with the party and without Trump, we'd all be great. But no, without Trump, you're the party of George W. Bush and your son, George W. Bush, is a war criminal and an asshole and he's wrong about pretty much everything. So I don't know. I, I, I have mixed feelings on the whole, like, we're taking a stand against Trump. Because it's good that they're actually, like, materially not backing Trump in the sense that they didn't vote for him and they wouldn't campaign for him and, and all that stuff. But... It, Really, also what this shows is the flip side of the coin, which is I don't think they don't feel at home among the establishment Democrats. I think that they kind of agree with the establishment Democrats, which really gets to a theory that we've been talking about for a long time being correct, which is the divide in this country is not left versus right. The divide in this country is not Democrat versus Republican. The divide in this country is elitist versus the people. The divide in this country is the establishment versus working people. And I feel like this story, in a weird way, kind of buttresses that point. Because I think that H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush and the rest of them felt really totally at home, and they didn't feel bad at all. Like, I'll cast a vote for Hillary. 
because she's on so many issues she agreed with them. And in their mind, they might think like, okay, so what? She's a little more socially progressive on gay rights and stuff like that. We can look past that. I honestly think that that's their belief. And I think that at least some of them, I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was George W. Bush or H.W. Bush or Barbara Bush or maybe all of them or maybe two of them. I don't know. But I think some of them probably voted for Hillary Clinton and weren't even upset doing it. You know, I think a lot of people on the left were more upset casting a vote for Hillary Clinton in, in, a, in a swing state. So they felt like they had to vote for Hillary to avoid the worst evil. But I think a lot of lefties were more upset casting that vote and didn't like it more so than anybody in the Bush family might have disliked it. And I think that says a lot about the state of the establishment Democrats. And Trump's election says a lot about the state of the Republicans. Trump is the Republican id, and he's come to life now. And they don't like that the mask has been ripped off the Republican Party. Where all the bigotry was kind of soft-pedaled and, and there was sophistry around it to make it seem like it wasn't bigotry and you had plausible deniability. And then along comes this bullheaded moron who's like, yeah, we need a total and complete shutdown of Muslims. That's what we need. And they're like, uh, <laughs> we tried so hard to sound not bigoted while we did some bigoted policies, and you just fucking mask right off. Uh, like future. Mask on, fucking mask off. All right. Anyway, I've been babbling here, but Barbara Bush um, said Trump caused her heart attack. Is that true? I have no idea. You'd have to talk to a doctor, but it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, this family that's a pillar of Republican politics for so long and, like, really quintessential horrendous ideas that kind of screwed the country over. Now they're clutching their pearls because like a more pure version of that has risen up. Okay. Final story of the day, y'all. Let's do it, bitch. Let's do it, bitch. So Markets Insider has a story on what I think is fair to call the new gold rush. Take a look. Forget the energy industry. Marijuana appears to be the fastest growing job sector in the U.S. The U.S. added 64,389 full-time legal cannabis jobs in 2018, according to a new report from the cannabis website Leafly and the consultancy Whitney Economics. That represented a 44% increase in total positions which rose to 211,000. Wow. And that's not counting jobs indirectly related to the marijuana industry, like lawyers, accountants, security consultants, media companies, and marketing firms. With those, with those included, the report said, there were 296,000 payrolls in, in the sector last year. The report estimated that jobs in the industry would grow by at least 110% from 2017 to 2020. Wow, you're going to double it in just a couple of years outpacing what are often seen as the top sectors. For comparison, the report noted uh, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics projections for 105% growth in the solar panel installation industry um, and 47% growth in home health care positions over a much longer 10-year period. So think about that. In just three years, yeah, three years, <laughs> sorry, I talk about math, 110% growth in marijuana industry. It'll, to get to 105% growth in other very fast-growing industries, it's 10 years. Solar panel industry, 10 years to get basically doubling the size of the industry. Three years, you're doubling the size of the industry for the marijuana industry. And I have to correct one thing in the article. They said, oh, there's all these jobs created in the legal marijuana industry. Not really. Not really. Legal at the state level, yes. 
not legal at the federal level, and federal law technically overrides state law. So at any moment, you're at the good graces of the executive branch here. That's all it is. At any moment, Trump can decide, we're going to shut it down. And they could shut it down. That simple. Seriously, that, that's how simple it is. Because it doesn't matter if it's legal at the state level, federal law overrides state law, and they could crack down now. The only upside is the cat may be too much out of the bag to put it back in. Because now we have legal marijuana at the state level in so many states that, what are you going to do? You're really going to go after all of them? Just waste a tremendous amount of time and money and energy and resources to try to stop this tidal wave, which is coming no matter what. And also, we should have it legal at a federal level, recreational marijuana everywhere. And if you have that, then you put the cartels out of business. And you put the cartels out of business, crime drops massively. There's all these upsides. So think about all this stuff. Job creation is gigantic, helps the economy overall, the private sector, which Republicans say they care about. Also, for the state governments with the tax revenue, it helps reduce state deficits. That's another thing that they say they care about all the time. And also just from a, a, a freedom perspective that it's wonderful because you're not, you're saying, okay, we're going to let you tweak your own consciousness and it's not our business. That's the government saying, go ahead, we're going to increase personal freedom here. And also what we should do and what some states are doing is they're, purging the, the, you know, the uh, nonviolent offenders, which is incredibly important. And that should have been done yesterday. I mean, these people are not actual criminals. And when we pretend like they are actual criminals, that's insane. And uh, I'm happy that we're now moving in this direction. But it's time for the federal government to catch up because, honestly, they're just getting in the way. And if, imagine if we went all in on this and had it legal at a federal level tomorrow these numbers would be even more insane, you know? It would jump even more. So it's the number one fastest growing industry, and that's still with people walking on eggshells a little bit. Again, imagine what happens when we really say, all right, legal um, tax and regulated at a federal level. What's going to happen? An explosion, a new gold rush, an even bigger booming industry, and it's going to be wonderful in every conceivable way. Um, it's kind of amazing how very rarely do you get like these issues where it's not, there's really very little nuance. Like the reality is if you were to legalize it at a federal level, I see nothing but upside. I mean, maybe, okay, what? You get a slight increase in the number of people who ate too much of an edible and they go to the hospital thinking they're dying and then they're told, you're actually totally fine. <laughs> like that's the worst case scenario. What are you going to do? I mean, listen, again, this is why I say regulation is important. I think you actually should have very clear regulations and rules and labeling when it comes to stuff like edibles because people don't know. And they eat one fucking pot brownie and they think they're going to die because they didn't know they should have taken one bite and they would have been high off their ass, never mind eating the whole thing, where then they feel like they're a zombie and they're having an out-of-body experience. So I think labeling is super important, but, you know, you still need to legalize it and then label it. So I don't know. But anyway, I found that fascinating marijuana, the number one growing industry by a mile and a half. So we should probably embrace that and not continue to try to fight it. Okay. All right, y'all, that'll do it for today's show. I hope I never have to talk about Russiagate again, but I'm sure I will. And that's going to break my heart, but I have to correct the record. It's not even like, again, I don't want to talk about it, but when people say things that are just flat out wrong and they're being like dishonest and covering the trails, we have to respond. But anyway, love y'all and I'll talk to you soon. Everybody have a great rest of your day. Peace.